to the Remarketing Podcast. My name is Jerome Lewis. I'm your host for today. The Remarketing Podcast is a podcast where we talk marketing, tech, business, and leadership. We talk these things for real estate agents, real estate investors, and real estate entrepreneurs. The Remarketing Podcast is a podcast that has two purposes. Purpose number one, to spotlight you, your business, your product, or your service in a way that provides value to you, including market exposure and content creation. Purpose number two, to educate and inform our audience and listeners. With that, we have a special guest today, Pete Reese. Pete Reese is the president of Real Vest Properties, a land development and investment company. With nearly two decades of real estate experience as a broker and investor, Pete has successfully purchased and sold hundreds of pieces of real estate for a profit over the years for himself and on behalf of his clients. He's on track to earn $4 million in revenue in 2022 with his land flipping and development business. Pete's always looks for his next deal, including his longtime dream of his own private island. Besides his professional accomplishment, Pete is a proud father to three beautiful girls, keeps up with his family by working out and enjoying a vegan diet, nice, and is the 31st great-grandson of King Harry II. Pete, I'm excited that you're here. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me, Jerome. I really appreciate it. That was Absolutely. quite the intro. Um, I uh, it, it makes me sound much uh, much better than I am, maybe. I don't know, man. You sound pretty good to me. You sound pretty good to me. I think anybody I would like it. that. <laughs> yep. With that, uh, Pete, could you tell us a little bit about your story and how you got into real estate? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I've been in real estate since, I guess, officially since the year 2000, when my wife and I, we purchased our first home. That kind of started our whole journey, as, as it does for many people. Uh, at the time, we bought a home in Southern California here for 195000 which seemed like so much money at the time. And uh, in Southern California, you really can't buy much for that price at this, at this time. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we bought it with an FHA loan. So we were very um, little out of pocket, 3.5%. And we held it for a couple of years and actually rented it out for a portion of that because our life situation changed a little bit. But you know, after holding it, we just we ended up with, a, I think, $50,000 profit in a, in a very short amount of time, in our opinion. So it kind of got us hooked a little bit and uh, progressed to, you know, we started eventually uh, flipping homes. So we started doing that. Um, and uh, we, uh, you know, we were watching the shows on HGTV and everything. So we saw uh, people flipping homes and having a lot of success with it. So we figured, hey, we could do that ourselves. So we did that for a while, ended up getting my broker's license. So started kind of uh, helping other clients and investors look for deals. And and uh, then the real estate market crashed here in the um, you know late 2000s. And at that point, I was like, hey, you got to shift a little bit. So I was in real estate, but I figured, you know, what's selling at that point was the REO, the bank owned properties. So I focused solely on listing those properties for the banks there was plenty of business to go around at that point and did some after that did some uh, focusing on short sales did that for a while and then i for a number of years i worked exclusively representing kind of larger investment companies just finding deals for them as a broker and mostly off the mls and um, a couple years ago it got to the point where i was like i, I really gotta get back involved in the investing space ourselves. It was kind of a, a real passion and stumbled into some stuff online about land flipping, land development. 
and kind of went down a whole rabbit hole on that and figured out a business model that I thought would work for, for me and been going really heavy at that for the past almost couple of years. And uh, we're on track. This is our second full year in the land flipping business. And we're on track to hopefully hit $4 million this year, 2022 in revenue. And that's about 50% profit profit margin on, on those properties. So we're just buying and selling properties, mostly holding them for short term and uh, selling them quickly. Thank, thanks for sharing that. Do you, that sounds very interesting uh, for our audience. Do you have like a course or a YouTube channel or anything where you teach this stuff or how, how does that work for you? Yeah. So I've got a, I've got a podcast that we're doing. It's called turning profit. Um, and, uh, that's launching here any week now, depending on when you're listening to this episode. So that, uh, there's a website associated with that. And each uh, month on the website post a monthly income report. So you'll tr be able to track our progress as far as how many, how much revenue we did that month, how many deals that we did, how did each individual deal go profit margin on each individual deal and just a lot of insight and things we've learned along the way and kind of really seeing how the business is done so just trying to educate don't have any course or program or anything like that but just kind of putting it out there for educational purposes it's stuff that i would have liked to have seen when i got started with the the land flipping business because it really wasn't out there and it still isn't out there so trying to fill a little, little bit of a gap there thanks for sharing that when you were telling us your story you mentioned the you mentioned HGTV mm, yes. and we see that come up like a lot in our industry. Could you like, so you have like some probably like intimate experience, like with the HGTV stuff and the, the real world stuff. Could you tell us about the differences? Is is it the same? Is it different? Like, what is that experience like? Is, is TV what it's, is, is it real? <laughs> is it like, what is that like? So, um, there are some similarities between HGTV and reality. A lot of it's kind of sugar-coated and they don't get into the real stuff that maybe might pose a, a challenge for, you know, especially newer investors before they, they really know what to get. Like they don't go into the financing side of it. They don't, they don't really go into, I mean, I know that they create drama in a lot of these episodes and that's part of it as well, but it's, um, it's, it's real world in a way, but but not as deep as you, as you need to go. So we were lucky. We did really well on our on our flipping business, and you know, on, on our first flip, in fact, we bought we bought it with the intent of kind of fixing it up and doing all these things to it. But as soon as we bought it, we got approached by a relative of of one of the neighbors, and they wanted to buy it from us. So at the time, this is before the real estate market crashed, um, two thousand seven and eight. Before that time. And uh, we bought the home with 100% uh, financing. At the time, you could get these 80-20 loans, they called them, which is 80% first, 20% second mortgage. And it all happened at the same time. So you didn't even have to come to closing with any money out of your own pocket, you know, aside from maybe some closing costs. So it was crazy. We ended up selling that property for about a $75,000 profit before we even made our first payment. So that was kind of that was kind of a freak thing. So there are things like that that happen sometimes, but there are also things that that happen as well. Like uh, sometimes you end up holding a property for longer than you want to, or making less than you want to on the deal, and those are a little bit stressful. So um, it's a def flipping homes is definitely a viable business model and and a great business model for people, especially for people that really love that the improvement side of things, fixing so something up, taking something 
and and creating something better from that. So th those are that's a really good um, business model for some people. Honestly, I don't really love that side of things. The it, it's a lot of logistics involved with fixing of a property. So the land that's why the land appealing that land investing kind of really appealed to me because in a lot of cases we're doing some minor development things, but we're not we're not fixing anything up in the property. We may, might do some clearing, we might do a perk test, we might do a survey, something we might do like a minor subdivision, something along those lines, but we're we're not, you know, doing a full rehab, which is, you know, a, a lot different a lot different. So, and we're able to hold these properties for a very short amount of time. Our average is about 60 days of Thank whole you. time. So there's like a joke going around, like on social media online. It's like everything I learned in real estate school was like irrelevant. Um, and I think one of the questions is like, how many feet is in an acre or something? I can't remember. I don't know, but you can easily Google it. So I understand what their issue is about bringing up this stuff. I'm saying all of that to say, I want to hear your perspective about you, like getting your broker's license and also being an investor like what what is that journey like was it scary did it help did it have no effect what is your experience well i definitely agree with you you know with that joke that you're talking about you know the the training that was available for my broker's license and the things that i had to study in order to to get my broker's license were nothing <laughs> were nothing like reality so as soon as I got, as soon as I passed the test, which I wasn't sure if I, I, I had even passed after I took the test, I was like, I, I have no idea if I was right on many of these questions. I did pass somehow, but it was, uh, you know, doing, doing my first transactions as, as a broker were kind of like a learning experience. Like you're just thrown into the fire. And especially since I wasn't working for um, another brokerage, I was just kind of on my own independent. That's kind of the way I like to be. <laughs> Uh, so I just figured things out as I went and, you know, you couldn't really even Google stuff that much back then that, that was very helpful. There wasn't a lot that was really helpful online. So it's, um, it's one of those things you got to learn by doing, you know? So it was, it's, it is really good for me to have that base, especially when it comes to the transaction side of things, because I know exactly what it takes to get from a contract to closing and who you have to push along the way. And, and, and how you have to make that that all happen. So that that's pretty invaluable experience, I think, in, in that way. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. When I um, so, so, like I dabble in both. Right. Sometimes I'm over on the real estate investor. Sometimes I'm over on the, the agent. And you were telling your story. You mentioned like the REOs and the short sales. And from my understanding, like it's not easy to go and get a relationship or be the person for those kind of deals. Could you talk about your experience with that? Like, did you like it? How did you get involved, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, really good question. And, and you know, who knows what's happening with this market that we've got now? I mean, I think it's probably a really good idea for certain agents to position themselves in, in that way as, as an REO listing agent, if that's an area that they're interested in. Really, back then, it, it was uh, all about um, break, the, the way you broke in was doing BPOs, broker price opinions, and uh, it's like a mini appraisal. And it's, a, it's a, a mini report where you kind of write up, you give some comps, you know, normally three sold and three active comps. You take pictures of the property, whether it's outside photos or, or you schedule time to get inside, depending on what the, the assignment is. And you do that and you do a good write up and do good work. And then you'll hopefully get noticed by the banks, get your foot in the door for a certain area, 
and you um, hopefully start getting the listings that way. But most of these asset managers and banks, you have to, they have, they've got a procedure for you to apply and then you'll start getting BPOs. And then if they like your work, then hopefully you'll start getting the listings. But I didn't, it was, it was great at the time to be able to have that personally, from my perspective, it was great because there, you know, it, it was a tough time for a lot of people, especially in, in real estate. They're just, you know, regular deals weren't happening very often. So the, the bank stuff was happening. There were still a lot of investors buying stuff, a, a ton of activity, but they were buying all bank properties. So if you could, if you could get the listings for the bank properties, then you would get pretty much uh, guaranteed income off of that. There's kind of the, the people side of that, which is not very appealing in my um, in my experience, I mean, first thing you do when you get an assignment as an REO broker is they'll send you an email that says, Hey, new property assignment, one, two, three main street. And your first job is you have to go down to the property and you have to determine if it's occupied or if it's vacant. And if it's occupied, your job is to make contact with, with the occupants and work out a uh, cash for keys deal. So, <clears throat> and, uh, <clears throat> sometimes sometimes the homeowner or the occupant was unaware that it had actually gone through the foreclosure process and you know you're kind of showing up as the representative of the bank when in reality i'm just a you know real estate broker handling the listing and uh you know it's it's just tough people situations and it's yeah that, can, that sounds scary especially yeah. if you go through a process and you don't even know it's like oh you gotta leave because everything yeah, I mean, at the time, you know, there was a lot of um, mod modifications and a lot of delays of these foreclosure auctions. So a lot of times people were confused on whether it actually went through the process. They might have thought that, oh, I've been working on with them to delay this auction. We're getting a modification done. And they may have been going through that process. But for one reason or another, it got diverted and it just went through the foreclosure process. And, you know, I remember times where I'd knock on the door and it would be little kid that answered the door and it's just kind of heartbreaking in a way you know and i'm like hey can i speak to your parents you know it's that's you know <laughs> i don't know it's just it's just tough situation so i didn't like that aspect of it at all but you know i, I always think back to that how how tough that was and it was just tough times for a lot of people i was thankful to have the business and to have income coming in as a result of these but um it just wasn't it you know i, yeah. I don't look on it favorably that's for sure yeah, the land is. I, I could see why you would appreciate that better. Jeez, mm -hmm. that, that could be some tough stuff to deal with. Yeah. Um, all right, so I'm gonna move on to our questions. I have some questions for you. The first question I have is: Tell us the most important lesson you've learned over. Uh, it says career, but I want to hear more specifically about the flipping that you're doing. Like you're, what you're most excited about. So. Yeah, I mean it's um. The big thing that I learned about the land flipping, and this is my perspective on land prior to I got involved with, with the whole land flipping business, was that it took takes forever to sell land. That was my that was my thought process. You know, like, okay, you, you know, you list a piece of land, you know, there's a potential for some good profit, but, you know, it may, may take a year or two to sell. You know, these, I see these things sitting on the market forever, but... I learned that there's a way to do the business where it can be very short term holds. And it's all about getting the deal for the right price, uh, 
adding value in whatever way you can uh, reasonably and then listing it for an aggressive price on the resale side so the other thing is you, you got to be buying good good properties as well so if there's a good properties there'll be people ready to buy them especially if you can offer it at a, at a good price slightly below market think so that was my understanding too and i know like sometimes we just come up with understandings out of who knows uh and yeah. it's like ignorance to be honest but i thought the same thing i'm like yeah land that would take forever why would anybody want to do that but there you are you're like nope it doesn't take long if you do it right yeah it's not i'm about i'm about 100 deals in and my average hold time like the average amount of time that i actually own a property from the from the time I close on the purchase close to the time that it actually resells through an escrow or attorney is sixty days, so that's wow. a very short term hold. That is very short term. I, I, yeah, have I mean, you some longer? Some are shorter though, you know. So it all averages out, but on average, it's sixty days. Okay, and you said the podcast is coming out like soon. Soon. Yeah. Have you done an article or a podcast on like the how long that would take, like going through that process start to finish, or uh, for yeah, for land flipping, yeah, we've got uh, yeah. we've got some episodes uh, okay. in the can, I guess so you could say that recorded about kind of the whole process and how the business model works. So those are going to be some of the intro episodes that are released. Okay, got you, got you. Thank you for sharing that. What is one piece of advice you would get someone starting out in the land flipping business? Mm -hmm. Well, I would say if you're getting if you're interested in getting started in the land flipping business, you really got to learn everything you can about first of all the business model how, how each piece of the business model works and the other side of things is how to evaluate properties because I mean, we're buying these properties all over the country and it's rare that i would ever see a property in person so behind the computer we're able to do all these evaluations on a property without even actually going there but it's very important to know what's a good property what's not a good property, how to, how to value that property. You know, like, what is it, what is it worth? And not a pie in the sky number, like what you could actually sell it for, uh, for a short term hold time. So about learning, it all comes back to learning and knowledge. You really got to get in deep and you really got to have an interest in it and just, just go really deep on, on the education side of things. Thank you. If, if you could, or, or let me say it this way. In your opinion, what is the most important personality trait or strength that someone should have to be successful in land flipping? Well, you definitely, if, if you're looking to do some bigger numbers, you definitely have to be that type that is, can be consistent. Now, we generate all our leads from direct mail. So one of the big stumbling things I see all the time with other land investors is they'll send out a batch of mail and then, you know, leads will start coming in, they'll get busy and then they'll forget to, or, or not prioritize sending out more mail on a regular basis. So kind of like your podcast, you've got a bunch of episodes. You're very consistent about posting all these and recording new episodes and, and doing everything that you need to do to make it successful. Um, the land business is similar in the way that you've got to be very, very dedicated and consistent in order to, to keep that mail going out and your lead generation going because when that when that kind of slows down or, or stops then your whole business stops it's about buying it's about buying properties for the right price and, and good properties for the right price so you've got to have that that machine that that engine constantly running 
And you're you like to you like to use direct mail. Right. And are you using like any specific, you know, without sharing all your strategies, but are you using anything specific like a letter or a postcard? You do a combination. What's your marketing strategy? Like? Yeah, basically, we're pretty simple. We we do a it's a two page letter. And first, first page is a letter. Second page is actually a purchase agreement that we send. So it's got the information about their property. Say it's a 10 acre property in, you know, New York, New York, you know, state. And uh, we put an actual offer price on the purchase agreement. So that generally gets people's attention. You know, it may not be top dollar, <laughs> like if they're going to uh, retail property and do the things they need to do in order to, to retail a property. But they, um, but we put an offer price on there and we try to get them and, and that, you know, does a pretty good job of getting people to respond. Sometimes they'll call in and they'll say, you know, you guys are, you know, offering me too low on my property, you know, and how can you do this and all this stuff. Or sometimes people will call in and say, thank you. I got your offer. I was thinking about selling, but the price is too low. And then we, you know, see if it's you something negotiate. that we can work on and negotiate a price. Sometimes they'll email, sometimes they'll text us, sometimes they'll even send us a letter back. So we get all kinds of responses, but that's the driver for the business, getting the mail out and, you know, dealing with the responses as they come in, whatever those responses are. Thank you. The. All right. So I forget the question I was about to ask you, but, um, oh, I wanted to make comments. So. One of the things that we got away from as a society is like making things a little bit easier for people. And one of the things that's really smart about your strategy is that uh, that contract that you put in there, because it 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 crystallizes what's going on. It's like, look, I'm genuinely ready to make an offer on your property. You got like an actual contract in there and it might not be the legit contract that goes to the title company or anything like that. But it brings so much clarity just to include that in your marketing. So that's a really smart thing. And I'm trying to like figure out a way that we can incorporate some of that into our marketing, too. That's very yeah, smart. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, it's, you know, and sometimes we're off on our pricing because, you know, we're just looking at big sets of data and we're getting these offer prices based off of averages for a certain area. So say we're looking in New York at a particular county, we're looking at properties from 10 to 100 acres and what's kind of the average price per acre that they've sold at retail. And then we sort of back out what percentage we need in order to make a deal worthwhile for us. And then we just do kind of do the math. It's like per acre, a certain price per acre we can pay. And then we just calculate that offer price so it's like a mail merge thing, but sometimes, you know, with land and within any real estate, really it depends on the location, depends on a lot of factors about the property. Is it sloped? Is it swampland? Is it, you know, in the FEMA flood zone, all these different factors come into play. So it's kind of the, those offer prices that we send out are based on averages. And then we, we get responses. Sometimes it's right on. Sometimes it needs to be adjusted. Maybe sometimes we're too high. Sometimes we're too low. But at least if we get a response and get some sort of line of communication going and the seller is interested in selling, then, you know, there's, there's a potential to work out a deal there. But it definitely the offer definitely gets people's attention and you kind of weed out some of the people that, you know, that are just going to be wanting full retail value. You know, that's the only way they want to sell. So those people. Yeah. And um, one thing about marketing is. It attracts, right? Everybody knows that marketing attracts. 
But something that we fail to remember is that it's to repel too. You just mentioned yeah. that, like, yeah, it pushes away those people that want retail. We're not in here to do charity or nothing like that. We want to right. make money. We're running a business too, and our marketing will help filter out some of those people that are asking for prices that don't work within our business model. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Like, you can't, you know, some people send out what they call neutral letters, basically saying stuff like something along the lines of, Hey, I want to buy your property. You know, are you interested in selling? Give me a call. That, that type of thing, like a real generic type message. They get a higher response rate, but there's a lot more weeding through the people that are, you know, never going to be a, a deal for at least for a real estate investor. Absolutely. What is one lesson that land flipping has taught you and that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? Hmm. That's a good question. Well, it's really taught me that it's, um, you know, first of all, the, the one thing that we talked about is it kind of broke my broke my my beliefs about it, it being a sort of a, a long term game when it's not. There's there's many ways to do this business. Uh, so th that's uh, that's another thing it's taught me that like, hey, the, the way I'm doing things may not, you know, there, there's many ways to do it. There's people that invest in uh land and they do it a completely different way than i do it and they're very successful at it some people buy as they call it desert squares you know five acre parcels in the desert where they're paying 500 to a thousand dollars for them and then they're selling them to people on terms and they're basically a note holder that's their whole business i'm doing a completely different thing where i'm all doing you know i'm not holding the financing on any of these deals i'm just buying them and reselling them kind of like a, like you're flipping a house but uh, just that there's a lot, a lot of ways to do things and kind of be open to, to new strategies. And, um, you know, I think I guess that's that's the biggest thing that I've learned. Got it. Um, so like I, one of the things I like a lot is tool. I like marketing. I like tech. I like tools. And one of these questions is the question I have is what underrated tool is indispensable for your job? So what's the tool that you're like, I, I absolutely need this for land flipping? If there's any tool I can't get rid of, it's this one. What tool right. is that? It's called MapRite. It's a right. um, it's an app where basically we can look up any sort of information about any property in the United States. It's all at our fingertips. So as I, I mentioned, you know, we don't go out to any of these properties. We do send out a photographer during the the process after we get something under contract. But MapRite is great because in when a lead comes in. We look it up right away. We pull it up there. It's got numerous different satellite images, you know, backgrounds that we can use. It's got overlays for contours on a property. It shows where the wetlands are, FEMA flood zone. It's uh, just a wealth of information. And without it, it would be very tough. There are a couple competitor apps out there, but they're nowhere near as good as, as MapRite is, in my opinion. Okay, so MapRite, you love some MapRite. You, you mentioned yeah, that. Yeah, MapRite. Right? Some people are yeah. like, oh, I don't know if it's this <laughs> one, but that one is like, can you think of one tool? Some people can't. I appreciate your concise answer. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely a good one. I'm a big fan. Okay, next I want to go over to the personal questions. So these questions are more personal to you versus your business. The first question that I have, what's your biggest failure and what did you learn from that experience? Biggest failure. Okay. Um, and, and this is not related to like the land business or anything like it could that. Be. It's up to you. Uh -huh. However, whichever way you want to go. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll just take, for instance, like a related to the land business. I'll say, you know, there are a couple deals that I bought that, that didn't go so well, meaning 
I didn't lose money on them. I still made money, but they were a hassle and they they took a lot of time. Um, one in particular, which I'll sort of highlight, is that I bought a property which was a landlocked property, meaning there's no legal access anywhere around the property. It didn't touch a public road. You didn't have a legal um, deeded easement to get to the property. And I bought it and I knew it was landlocked, but I bought it because it was so cheap. It was, it was uh, 12 acres and it was, I think I paid $3,000 for it. I was like, oh, this is no problem. I'll, you know, be able to sell it for 15,000, you know, plus I thought it would, you know, someone would be interested in it for a recreational property or something, but it just ended up being, you know, I got it, I listed it. I got a ton of interest in it. A lot of people, you know, were asking me about, it. so it was a type of property. It took a long time to sell because, and I got tons and tons of inquiries, but None of them were very good. No one really understood the whole landlock thing. And uh, bottom line is I ended up making a little bit of money. I think I sold it for 6,000, something like that, five or 6,000. Uh, but it took me, you know, four or five months. So in, in hindsight, it was just a, a hassle, I guess you could say. And it kind of taught me not to buy any more landlock properties. So. <laughs> Yeah, I would learn that too. You know what? No, thank you. I'm good on that one. Yeah. So next question, if you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? Being a good dad. Yeah, I've got I've got three kids and I guess that's probably my most most important job. And I I know we get you know, being in business for ourselves and investors and everything, we get kind of sidetracked, I think, with our businesses, everything that's going on, but you know, we can never lose sight of our most important job, which is to be, you know, a good family member, parent, you know, whatever your situation is. And uh, for me, you know, it's being a good dad to my kids. So thanks. How, how old are your children? Well, they're I guess they're not all children at this point, but they still are to me. Uh, one of them is uh, 22, 20 and 12. Nice. All three girls. Yeah. Nice. Next question. Tell us about three most influential people in your life and how they impacted you yeah i'd i'd say you know it's all, all pretty much uh family members that have been very influential uh to me my wife very very influ influential to me she's you know kept me on the right track for for many years now uh, and then i've learned so much just from each one of my kids in, in a different way so those are the most, most influential i mean those are the people i spend the most time with for sure so thank you uh, the next question I have for you, what is the biggest challenge you are currently facing in your business? Yeah, you know, um, the biggest challenge that I, that I run into consistently with the land business is on the acquisition side, that as soon as we get these properties under contract, I'd love to be able to close on them right away. But okay. we go through, um, title and, and with an escrow and or attorney, depending on what the state is. And uh, just to make sure that the title is good. So we run into a lot of situations where there are issues with the title. And obviously, we can't close on those. And a lot of times, it takes a while to get to the point to figure out that there is a problem with the title. And maybe, and a lot of times, those problems are, are not correctable. So that, that's a, the biggest frustration that I have. There's no real, real way around it. It's just kind of a numbers game. You've just got to realize that some of the deals are not going to happen just because there's no clear title, um, you know, for one reason or another. And it happens wow. more in the land 
business because a lot of people inherit properties. They, you know, they may have been in the family for a long time and there's something back in the chain of title, which, which causes a problem. Yeah. That, and that makes sense. It might not be like actual practical use. Like today we have more technology and we could do more stuff, but back then it's probably different. So that, that actually right. does make sense. Like, yeah, house, anybody can almost live in a house, but land, right. like, what are you going to do with that land? Are you going to put something there? It's going to hold it. What are you going to do? So that does make sense. Yeah. Like, and you know, with, with houses, a lot of times, you know, when, when people buy them and when they transact, you know, there's, um, a lender involved and they will really scrutinize and any title issues and get them corrected along the way. Sometimes with land, you know, it may get transferred to different people with the neighbors or whatever. And they'll do like a quick claim deed or, you know, and, and no one's oh. really investigated like the chain of title and, you know, like, Oh, there's a problem here, you know, like so-and-so inherited it, but, but really, you know, two other people inherited it as well, you know, other yeah. relatives, that and then, sense. you know, and then like, they what, had five what kids, do do? And, you know, yeah, you know, you might be trying to deal with uh, 20 sellers and it's just impossible to put something like that together. OK, yeah, I see. Uh, next question. These are meant to stop you a little bit. First one. How can someone add immediate value to you or your business? Well, um, you know, I'm not really out looking for someone to do anything for me as far as add value or anything like that to, to what I'm doing. Um I'm always looking for people, I guess, that um, may be interested in partnering on deals, you know, um, funding, funding deals, I guess you could say. So especially bigger ones, you know, like if it's a if it's a larger property, I, I self fund most most things myself. But sometimes we come up into some bigger properties and, um, you know, it would be nice to, to have money partners to, to partner on some of those deals. But. Um, you know, with land, that's one thing about it. Like there's no real banks that will lend you money. It's not like there's hard money lenders out there, mm -hmm. but there are, um, deal partners that are out there that will basically, you know, put up the money for the deal and then they will, you you, you can do some sort of split on the profits. So those type of situations are there. So I'm always looking for, you know, uh, people that may be interested in something like that. Okay. So the you next question. The next question is like long-term value, but I can, I can address both like here. So that question is a little bit selfish because I want to like, how can I add value to my guests? Right. Mm. Cause I was teaching one time and I was like, uh, teaching the speaker was talking. He was like, Jerome, nobody ever asked me that question all this time I've been doing it. I was like, wow, people really don't typically, they don't ask us these questions when we're like doing this. So that's why I put that in there to see how I, I like can it. add value to my guests as well as the audience. Right. Cause somebody right. might be interested in something that you're doing and you, it's like, I guess before he was like, just retweet my tweets on Twitter. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's easy. That's a, a way that you can add value to people depending on where they are in business. So uh, for you, I have, there is this, um, so you know, like about investing through IRAs. Right. Uh, there is a company called Advanta. You ever heard of them? I think I've heard the name, but I don't know anything about them. Okay. So those partners that you're looking for, this company, right, They've uh, Advanta. In any IRA company, but I, I'm familiar with Avena. They have a um, bi-weekly mastermind session where people come together every Friday and they say what they're looking for. I'm looking for deals. I'm looking for somebody that has deals. I'm looking for podcast guests. I'm looking for books, whatever it is, right? But it's, it's Avena IRA and it's a real estate-centric 
not real estate, but a lot of smart people invest in real estate. So it's a lot of real estate going down on that call. People were looking for deals. So I would say it would be a good idea. I'll send it to you by email too, to check out that call. There's a bi-weekly call every Friday. And wow, people are awesome. just looking for deals. Yeah, and it, they, I'm pretty sure some people will partner up with you, see what you got going on, and just partner up on those deals. You self-fund a lot of them, but you can find a lot of partners by attending that event call and building some relationships there. Yeah, well, that's awesome. That's yep. great. See? Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate I'll, it, Drew. I'll, yeah, you're welcome. I'll try to follow up via email too, but that's a really healthy call to go find like some funding partners and other just real estate partners. You might want to do something else or you might want to be involved in something else and don't want to do it or something like, you know what, I'll invest. So that's a really good place to go for that. Yeah, very cool. I'll definitely uh, check into that. All right. So um, do you read any books? I want to ask you this question about books. Yeah, I mostly listen to them. At this point, okay. Uh, on so, perfect. So, could you give us three books that you recommend, and why you recommend those books? Well, one of, one of them that I've listened to lately, which you know, I'm big into marketing as as you are. You know, I've got a marketing degree, but I didn't learn anything about marketing and yeah, like just like the <laughs> license, it, right? Like the real yeah. estate license. You yeah, it's the same that. deal. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> it's amazing. You can end up with a marketing degree from some of these places, and you don't know anything about marketing, but yeah. anyhow, that's a whole other subject, right? But uh, but yeah, the the latest one that I listened to that I really think is amazing is a book called um, Hundred Million Dollar Offers. I don't know. If oh you've yeah, yeah. Read or listened to that? Parmosi, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's uh, that's an amazing book. Um, I really love, um, you know, if you're kind of at the beginning stages of, you know, thinking about being a real estate investor, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad is is pretty much a, you know, pretty Stable. much a, a constant, I guess you could say. And then, you know, some of the classics I like to like Think and Grow Rich and How to Win Friends and Influence People. Those are all really, really good ones as well. But um, but do you have a favorite person that you like in regards to marketing? Well, I've been listening to a lot to Hormozy, you know, Hormozy? I think he's, you know, it kind of, um, I don't know. It just really, uh, resonates with me kind of where okay. I'm at, where, where I'd like to go. So that's, uh, that really resonates with me right now. So I said okay, right now awesome. that it changes, you know, things change. Yeah, it changes. It does change. So I, I was on Hormozy, I think maybe a year ago. Oh, were you? Um, yeah. Yeah, jumps around and you switch. Yeah, switch. I, I do like his stuff though. I really like how smart he is. It's like, all right, I'm done with this. Now I'm gonna go buy businesses, and I yeah. can kind of see how like you would be interested in that too. Like, let's go, let's go hard. Let's go bigger. Yeah, I can try to go bigger. Yeah, it. yeah, I can see that. So, uh, yeah. the next um, next question: Where can listeners find out more about you online? At turningprofit.com. That's the kind of main hub for our podcast and also where you'll be able to find the income reports that we do on a monthly basis and also, you know, other content. I'll be filming a lot of other content about land flipping and just kind of um, business, you know, real estate business development in, in general. So any anything that I can try to add value, I'll just try to turn on the, the turn on the screen, the camera and, and record it. So. Thank you. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. Uh, I had a guest before and she was she her claim to fame was short sales, which you mentioned a little mm. bit earlier. Her name was yep. Dwan. And she talked about she was like, Jerome, uh, the way I like to end my podcast is with one final closing word. And I was like, closing word. She was like, yeah, because sometimes people get long winded. I was like, oh, man. So I pose you the same 
thing, right? Leave us with one closing word. You can pick one word, no explanation, no description, no reason why. Tell us what that word is. Just one word. Just one word. Consistency. Consistency. And now you can tell us why you picked that word. Just because I'm a big fan, I think a lot of results in life come from consistency. And and maybe a, a complimentary word to, to that would be persistency. So, you know, persistence. You know, it's just a matter of, you know, you get your system down and you just repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, and don't get sidetracked. And just, you know, be really be really persistent about it, especially if you're you're, you know, in, in pursuit of some goals. You just you can't give up, you know. See too many people give up before they before they, they, they really, you know, start seeing the results. There's this quote that I like to like use on my students. It's called and it goes like this imperfect imperfect consistency beats perfect inconsistency. And and I, I have no idea who came up with that quote, but I like to use it because it's so true. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter how good it is if you're not consistent. Like a person that's consistent will be the perfect like every time because of the consistency and what you just said like it is exactly that like you have to be consistent more than anything people drum oh my god you got all those pockets none of them are perfect oh my god you got all those posts none is perfect but i'm consistent that's right nobody's perfect and and how do you get better just by putting in the work right right be consistent so i appreciate you uh, hitting on that and there is another question that i have if there was what is a question you wish I would have asked you and how would you have answered? Uh, okay. So what's the most important thing? What's the most important thing to know as a real estate investor? So, and how I'd, how I'd answer that is that, it, well, the most important thing about being a real estate investor is you got to pick a model, a proven model, and you just got to go in all in and do it. And the more distracted you get, the, the worse it'll be. So if you could pick a model, whatever resonates best with you, whether it's land flipping, house flipping, you know, commercial development, you know, any of these type of things, there's, there's plenty of different models and ways to make money in real estate investing. But the key is to picking one of them, going deep, really learning it, and then just doing it over and over and over again. And you know, eventually you can put a team in place which will help you with that consistency and repeating that over and over again. But you really, really need to laser focus on one model and just go for it. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So I messed up again, right? We don't have to be perfect. So tell us again where we can find out more about you online. Sure. Uh, Turningprofit.com. That's the central hub and it'll link to YouTube and our social accounts as well. That'll be a great start. And our podcast, obviously, is on all the episodes are on there. Pete, I appreciate you so much. Can you stick around for like three minutes after? Yeah, yeah, of course, Jerome. Thanks a lot for having me on here. All right.